Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Can you please share a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the audience? <laughs> yeah. So my name is Nicole. And um, let's see, share a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in the IFB for like, I don't know, 30 years or so. Got out of it. And I am now married to a wonderful man. And I have two children. And I work from home. What was your introduction to the IFB? Were you born into it? Was it something that you got into at a very early age? Um, do you even remember your first time? Or was it just kind of something that was always a part of your, your life? It was essentially something that was always a part of my life. Um, I believe, according to my mom, she said I was about two years old okay. when we started going to Mountain Avenue. So that's really all I've ever known. Right. And uh, this interview is actually really unique, and I can't believe I didn't say it in the beginning, but uh, we actually uh, went to the same church and school. So this is a, definitely an interesting one, because this one's right in my, in my backyard as far as interviews go. So, um, But do, what's your earliest memory? Do you remember your initial experiences being pretty positive? Because um, I know... For a lot of people, you know, some people say there was you know, never a good time or there was never good experiences. But um, for other people, you know, I know for me, there's a lot of good experiences intertwined with, you know, maybe the, the more mm-hmm. negative. So can you share a little bit about your early memories, whether it was positive, negative, uh, just a little bit of context there? It was actually very, very positive. Um, I don't know if you, I know you remember, um, Pastor Stalnecker. Right, yeah. Honestly, he was a great pastor. All of the teachers that were there, the Sunday school teachers that were there at that time were not IFB related in in how they treated other people, if that makes sense. Um, He was very much so, hey, here's what I believe. You need to make your own decision. 
And even my, you know, my school teachers at that time were the same way. Right. So I would say, yes, like it was positive. And I would absolutely, if he were back there and everybody that was there at that time, I would totally go back. So he was there till I was in, I want to say third grade. So I have very limited memories of him but they were positive, but it's one of those things where like, I don't have a, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it was positive just because I was young and like, I was positive toward everybody or so. Yeah. For, from what I remember, super positive. And I, I just remember, you know, I, I don't have any negative memories associated, associated, which I guess, you know, talking to people on the show, not having early negative memories associated with the pastor is a a good thing to be thankful mm-hmm. for. So we talked a little bit right before we recorded and you said that, you know, kind of your first time you noticed something was a little bit off within the movement was in your high school years. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, what it was that kind of, was it just a weird sense of things? Was it a specific instance that kind of started waking up to some things? What was that first negative experience? Oh my gosh. Okay. So the first part that brought something up that was negative or like started opening up my eyes was Mr. Dorches when I went into youth group. Okay. Now, I think I have, and and here's a little bit of background. I think I have a little bit of a unique situation because number one, I wasn't a pastor's kid. I wasn't, you know, any of that. My mom was a secretary, but you know, being a secretary, she was a part of everything for the school, for the church. And I helped her a lot. Right. And so I saw discrepancies that I would say most people wouldn't have seen that early on per se, because it Mm. really wasn't a bad school to go to and it wasn't a bad church to go to. But what I was realizing, because my mom is saying one thing, and then you have Mr. Dorches, who is completely telling me something different Mm -hmm. that was, you know, so I was kind of, I I didn't really know what was true and what was right. Right. And so that's, that's what kind of started opening. And when you say something different, are you saying like different theology, different, you know, ideas about the church or the school, different rules and standards? Like what was different in the teaching? Like what was the kind of discrepancy? That's a great question. So what was different? Pastor Stalnecker was all about, you read the Bible, you come up with your own convictions, your own standards based off of that, that between you and God. Hmm. He goes, Here, here's what I believe, but I'm not forcing you to do the same thing. Um, and then Mr. Dorches would, okay, it sounds so silly, it really does. But like, I didn't have skirts that were below my knee. I was sinning and I was wrong. And, you know, I was seducing. I was in freaking high school, but I was seducing men. Right. Um, You know, music. My mom loves the oldies and we used to listen to 50s and 60s music. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he found out that I was listening to that stuff, I was wrong. Right. You know, and it just kind of, it got further, more uh, legalistic as I got older. How did that relationship develop? Was it something where, you know, that just remained a one-on-one kind of pressuring? Is it something where 
you know, sometimes when there's disagreements or things like that, like they, that gets used as leverage and they try to affect other areas of your life. Was it something where other people started slowly getting involved and piling onto you for doing things differently than maybe the majority would or than he would? That's a loaded question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Just give me a second to think. So it started off with him and then other people also got involved, right. mainly Mrs. Hendricks mm. was a really, really big one. Right. And, and then also, okay, so I had Pastor Stalnecker until I was about end of eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe. That was a long right. time ago, but right around that time frame. And then he stepped down and we had another pastor come in who is from, what's that college? First Baptist in Indiana? Yeah, uh, Hiles Anderson. It's First Baptist Church, Hiles. but Hiles Anderson is the college. Hiles Anderson. So he, he came from there and like a lot of things changed hmm. in that regard. Um, pastor Stalnecker was very much so, you know, we need to work together. Pastor Sibowski was very divisive and so that's kind of how the dynamics changed with Mr. Dorches I mean he eventually left but all of a sudden it was like okay you know everybody needs to keep an eyeball on what everybody is doing and if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or what he thinks you're supposed to be doing then you get in trouble right or you get shunned Right. Um, so what was one of those first experiences or, or interactions? I can't really think of any one of my first ones while I was in high school, mostly because I don't really remember a lot of high school, except for key, you know, key times. But I would definitely right. say my senior year, I didn't want to go to a Bible college at all. Hmm. Um, I had no desire to teach or be a secretary or, you know, any of the things that women are allowed to do. And so, can we move on from that question? I have to think about it. Yeah, that's fine. We can circle back. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so, kind of going to the post-high school experience, did you end up going to a, a Bible college after, you know, obviously there was some pressure there. Um, did you end up actually making that jump? Or is it something where you left the high school and then just kind of continued on on your own path? I went to Bible college. I went to West Coast Baptist College. I actually didn't know that. I had you no did? idea. No, I actually had no <laughs> idea that you went there. <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so what was what was that experience like? So that would be what what time period would that be? That would be right around two thousand and three. Yeah, it would be yeah. So what what was that? Ex- would that be right? I don't feel like three. Mm-hmm. Huh? Why? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is right. That's right. Okay. So I'm doing the math in my head, which takes me a while. (laughs) But yeah, so what was that experience like being at? It was um, miserable. Okay. Not going to lie. It it was miserable. Being in the situation that I was in with my mom being the secretary, I got to know a lot of people that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily normally get to know. So like, Mm. you know, I I talked one-on-one with Dr. Getch, with Dr. Rasmussen, with the Weavers, with Furso, I, I knew them because I played sports. I knew their daughters and right. I, I met them that way. Right. And then also, you know, being my mom's daughter and helping, I 
you know, took phone calls, I did emails, I did a bunch of stuff. So I got to know a lot of people. So going into West Coast at first, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. You know, there's so much more people and, you know, this is just great. But then you have the pressure because of who I am. And I think it's even more so for pastor's kids, but like a higher pressure as far as you have to fit in this mold. Right. And as a girl, it's even worse fitting into the mold because, okay, number one, I have curly hair and I know that seems so silly, but I was told that I was lazy if I didn't straighten my hair every morning. Right. That makes um, sense. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. And, and um, just for context too, like, so like West Coast at that point was barely eight years old. So it was really, really new. What, mm-hmm. what was the size of the college like at that time? Did it, cause it, I have to assume it was much smaller than it is now and it's already pretty small. Um, well, how big is it now? Uh, probably, well, that's a good question. Um, I would guess they have around 2,000 students, oh, may, okay, may, yeah. maybe. Um, maybe 700. Okay, yeah, I would. that's what I would have guessed is that would be in the hundreds, not thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, watch, I'm probably completely wrong on my number. I don't even know where I would find that, but... Uh, but I, I think that's what I heard is like, it's around 2000 now. Um, Sounds about right. So, I mean, but, and that's what seems to be when I'm there. Um, I haven't been, but then again, I haven't been there in a couple of years. So it was a smaller, they were obviously even a lot stricter too. I mean, they were, oh, absolutely. they were much stricter now. And that's what, that's the weird thing about these conversations too, is that, you know, like your, even your experience with Sidlowski versus mine, like, by the point that I was older, he was a lot, and I think it's because he got away from the Hiles world, was much I looser. have stories yeah. to tell you about him. Well, I'm, I'm sure. But, like, that's the thing is, like, it's, it's so, it's just so weird because of how things shift, like, and the amount of, like, in, so, in some ways, like, that's a good thing, like, that some things change and don't stay as crazy as they are. But then, on the right. other hand, too, with, like, colleges like west coast you know the weird thing is like no, nothing's ever acknowledged that was done wrong like it mm-hmm. just kind of slowly gets swept under of like oh well that never happened we've always been like mm-hmm. we've always let people wear jeans on saturday you know it's like oh my gosh exactly. it's just kind of weird stuff so, <laughs> so so you were in west coast in it's super hyper fundy infancy mm-hmm. and um anyway I, I cut you off but you you mentioned no, like fine the weird standards with even with the way that you look, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned obviously the weavers, which have been mentioned on the show before, like super, super, super. um, I think he's actually from Hiles as well. I'd have to double check, but, but um, he was obviously probably a big part of your life during that time. So just give me a little bit of a rundown of your college experience and and what that was like. Um, It was basically, they run you ragged, um, as a girl, you couldn't go anywhere outside of campus unless you had three people. I fortunately had a super small truck that could only fit two people, so that's irrelevant. Um, you, as a girl, there was only certain places that you were allowed to work. You couldn't work nights at all. Um, I was paying my way through college, and I had to work, but I wasn't really allowed to, so that kind of, you know, wasn't really that cool. Right. 
Um, let's see, other weird things, you know, having to wear nylons, I'm allergic to nylon, so I would break out in hives every day, but they didn't really care. As far as the whole running you ragged, people need their sleep in order to function. Right. And some people more so than others, but you know, I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning, going to bed at midnight or 11 o'clock, depending on what was going on. Because after the end of the day, you still had, and I don't even remember what it was called, but like on Mondays, you had, I don't know, prayer meeting or something like that, just with the girls. Right, within the dorms, on, right? There was a, yeah. basically like a group devotional. Yeah, because that was yeah. still going on when we would go to like tournaments and stuff. We would get the, yeah. we'd get to see that and be a part of that, which was, a, you know, <laughs> supposed to be like a good, you know, first interaction. So, so you know not getting the sleep that you needed created other health problems, you know, Mm. I would start getting migraines and I would call in sick to Mrs. Weaver. And she told me that I had to show up anyways, because migraines were fake. Mm. So, you know, that, I mean, that's kind of the extent of it. There were fun things that happened, you know, um, things that I had never been a part of because our school was so small. But like different sporting events, you know, volleyball, the basketball games, which were pretty cool. There's good and there's bad within, but that's essentially my college experience. It kind of sucks. Right. So what ended up being your kind of post-college experience? What was, what was the direction that you took after graduating? If, if you did graduate or did you end up leaving a little bit early? Well, I technically graduated. Okay. I finished in three and a half years, but you know, it doesn't count at all towards anything right but I had actually okay so finishing in three and a half years I had gotten married okay gosh how old was I 19 20 I was 20 I was 20 and so at that point I was kind of like very this sounds so bad but I was very just rebellious I didn't want to have anything to do with church Mm. I didn't want to have anything to do I mean if you put a rule quote unquote on me I balked it if you told me to wear a skirt below my knees I wore a skirt freaking above my knees like just you know just that kind of mentality right I got married and at that point because I was more on my own even though I wasn't like that's a totally different subject it was I kind of sort of got back into the IFB because my whole thing at my at that time my whole thinking was, if I can't get out of it, I might as well as make something into it. And at least, instead of not having control, be in control. And that is so bad. Like, it really is. I have so many regrets right. during that time frame. But that was just, like, my survival mode. Is like, that, that was my survival mode. Right. Is to control others. And how did that kind of manifest itself? You know, obviously that mindset going into a marriage is not the best when you're, when you're transitioning (laughs) in. And um, can you talk about maybe how that affected that relationship and, you know, maybe other relationships that you were, that you had at the time? Cause it's, I wouldn't assume you had many other really close relationships outside of family. Um, I don't know if it affected there as well, but um, can you just talk about how that mindset affected things? Well, the mindset, okay, so part of not having any control as far as me being an individual person 
had to do with my marriage as well as with the IFB culture. Okay. And was your husband part of the IFB as well? Oh, majorly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. My ex-husband. Right. Just to clarify. Sorry. Right. No, no worries. So the way that my version as far as being in control was, so me and Brian worked with the youth group and I became the person that I never wanted to be, which was super judgmental. I mean, super judgmental, super strict. Um, If you broke the rules, I was all over you. And, and it affected, well, see, I can't, I, obviously anything, when you do anything like that, no matter in what situation that you're in, it's going to affect people. But I think right. that because people were already in that type of environment, it was like, oh, okay, she's just another person kind of a thing right. that is a part of this whole thing. Right. So I, I, I don't know, I really couldn't tell you how it affected me or, or, or really affected other people just because they were already in that environment. So, well, it's crazy. Cause I totally forgot that you, you guys came back and did that, <laughs> um, which is just super weird. And I don't even know if that speaks to the movement experience at all. It, for me, like, I, always, I don't know. I always feel like that with stuff of like, oh, I totally forgot that that period of my life happened or this, mm-hmm. this stretch of things. Yeah. I totally forgot that because um, I was in like, I think I was in like fifth grade at the time, maybe fourth. Um, How old are you? I'm 25. Oh my gosh, you're young. Okay. Yeah. So we had totally, that's what I mean. We had totally like, I I have enough knowledge to like be able to reference the people you're mentioning, but like mm-hmm. I never had like my experiences of Dorchus. Yeah. My experiences of like Dorchus, I was maybe... You were a baby. First, yeah, like first grade, mm-hmm. you know, maybe second grade when he when he left. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember a little bit more of him because my my brother was um, like super close friends uh, with his son, so like he was over a lot. But yeah, it's it's weird, and like even with you guys, like I I just totally when you said that I flash back because I remember like there was a I only remember one time, but I remember there was a time in like. I want to say like maybe third or fourth grade where we, yeah, it must've been like third, must've been third grade. But I just remember we like combined with the youth group for one night or something. And, mm-hmm. and so I totally forgot that there was that gap. Cause in my mind it was Dorchus then neater, but I right. totally forgot okay. there was a whole period of like, it was you guys. I, I totally blanked on that. So that's super <laughs> weird. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I keep putting off, but I'm like long. unlocking memories during this, uh, he was totally fine and it was a really short period where we were by ourselves and then we ended up working with uh the neaters right okay and and that was a totally different yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i'm curious and maybe even just for myself i'm curious what was that experience like and what was your first impression with that change um i was relieved at first um, he kind of gave me the creeps. Okay. I don't have any personal experience to be able to, you know, say this happened and, oh, that makes sense. Right. But I did not like being around him. Right. At all. Okay. And I did not like him being around the girls. Hmm. Okay. So 
I, I don't really, I mean, we weren't there for too much longer after he came in because Pastor Sabosky ended up kicking me out of church. Okay. Yeah, I have lots of, so I have lots of questions about what you just said because I'm, I'm curious, and maybe this would even be a good post-podcast conversation, um, but I, I'm assuming it's primarily like a gut feeling that something was a little weird, yes. but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing you could point to and be like, oh, that was it. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll put a pin in that for now. Um, kicking out of the church. Um, that's a pretty big uh, life event to happen. So what, what surrounded that and what was the, the final kind of reason that you ended up getting the boot? You want to know what started it all? I think Breastfeeding. I, oh, okay. No, I didn't expect that. So breastfeeding, go figure. Okay. So I had just had, I don't remember which kid. It was either Justin or I only have two children right now, but it was either Justin or Dylan. Okay. I want to say it was Justin. And at that point, like my eyes were way more open. I was doing a lot of studying as far as what Pastor Sadowski was preaching versus what the Bible said. And actually, I have a friend out in Philadelphia, and she and I were going through the same thing at the same time, and we were just comparing notes together, um, going over different things. Right. Well, I was still at that point, I'm a rule follower, but not in the sense of, okay, cool, your skirt's above your knees. I don't really care about that anymore. But a rule follower as far as, you know, if the government says this, you just, you, you do it, you know, within reason, right. you do it, you know, same thing, speed limit, wearing your seatbelt, etc. So with breastfeeding, I always had a cover. Well, I did not want to go into the nursery to breastfeed because all of the women would just gossip, not something that I was interested in. Right. And so I would nurse in the very, very back of the church, you know, discreetly. And um, he had talked to Mrs. Dollinger and had told her to tell me that if I did not breastfeed in the nursery, that I would, there would be ramifications. He didn't really say what, she didn't really say what, she just implied. So I'm like, okay. So I went into the nursery and, you know, I would feed my kid. And then Mrs. Dollinger, with all of the ladies in there, ripped into me about how I need to do what pastor says, period, end of story. If you do not go behind that crib, um, you know, there's, he's going to do something or, you know, you, you just won't be able to feed in here anymore and you'll, you know, et cetera. And I'm like, okay. And I kept my mouth shut and that took a lot in me to keep my mouth shut and not to be disrespectful to her. But later that night, he called us into the office And he told, he kicked us out and said, you are no longer welcome here. If you can't do what I say without any questions asked, then you, you don't belong here. Wow. I was like, okay, thanks. Hmm. So that was kind of the starting point of getting out of the IFB, but I still went to how many more churches after that? I think I went to two more churches after that. Okay. Before I finally said, screw it. Right. Right. And, and I actually uh, got kicked out of both of those churches too. <laughs> for, 
for same reasons or was it different, different things reasons. for each one? Okay. Different reasons. Right. Um, and, and at these other two churches, they were both for the same reason. So I don't dress frumpy. Mm. And I got kicked out of both churches for dressing too attractive. Win for you, I guess. I mean, take pride. <laughs> I've never been kicked out anywhere for being too good looking. So I guess you can. They told me to dress frumpy. Huh. And I'm like, what the heck? Right. Huh. Okay. Well, that's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're kicked out of the second church. What's the next route? Is it a conversation between your husband or your ex-husband saying, you know, Hey, do we even want to keep doing this? Do we want to find another church? Like, what was that conversation like walking out the doors that third time now? Well, the second time it was no big deal to me. Uh, the church was really far away. I was right. only going there because the Beesons were going there. Right. Um, and then and this other church I went to because my mom had been going there and she just really, really liked it. Because at that point she had left Mountain Avenue and I don't really know her entire story as far as why she left. Huh. But okay. at this other one, what had happened is, again, you know, me and Brian were in charge of the youth group. Me and my mom actually co-taught the girls the teen girls, we had the older group, uh, the high schoolers essentially, and then the another lady had the sixth through eighth graders. Right. And one Sunday morning, I mean, it was super and what completely church, out of the blue. What, what church, church was that, um, if you don't mind me asking? Because I, I had no idea the Beasts even went to another church in California. So like, oh, I guess one. I was super out of the loop. <laughs> but... Um, and let me think of what the name was. Yeah, no worries. It's not super relevant. I'm just curious for. Well, it was out in the desert in Palm Palm Desert. Really? And it was with Clifford, I think. I have no idea. Do you right. do you know? Okay, you have no idea. All right. Oh, they was, are oh, Cliff, was, older than me. Wasn't Clifford? Was he one of the original pastors at Mount Avenue? Or no? No. Am, am I totally just way off? Okay, let's just move on from that because I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm asking inside baseball questions that no one's going to care about but me. But uh, anyway, so so walk out well, the hey, second you can one ask later. Right? Yeah. No, I definitely. So, um, so so you had left the second one that didn't really bother you, and then the third one did that one really hit home? It it actually did because it came completely out of the blue. I had no idea that there was anything wrong. Um, I played the piano for them. I taught youth group, you know, for the girls, very, very involved. Like there wasn't anything. He would, he kind of reminded me of pastor Spellnecker, to be honest with you. The church was really small. They were very, you know, you need to do what the Bible says, period. Don't do what I say. Um, you need to come up with your own standards, your own convictions, what you believe, whether, whether I believe it or not, like that was very, very much so that. And, and he came from Hiles. He graduated from Hiles, grew up in Indiana, I believe. That might have been his wife. And then he moved out here. And um, at the time we were at a really, it was a, it was a small church. And then we moved and we took over a Southern Baptist church and they ended up merging. Right. Well, now all of a sudden he has, you know, a really big church and, and he was just, I don't know if going from a small church and being humble to all of a sudden I have a big church 
to, I need to implement all these rules back again, right. kind of a thing. Cause that, that's essentially what happened. But as far as getting kicked out, it was completely out of the blue. Um, it was on Sunday morning. I had walked into my Sunday school class with my mom and pastor Beard's wife came in and she said, you are no, and mind you, this was in front of all of the teens. And she's like, you are no longer going to be teaching Sunday school anymore. And you're, you're done. And I'm like, okay, like blindsided. And then I was supposed to play the piano that night and that was gone. And um, he had called me in, Pastor Beard had called me in later that after that before church, but it was like early evening. And he told me what, what his problem was. He goes, I don't like the way that you dress. You need to start wearing frumpy clothes. Mm. My wife is not comfortable with you. And I'm like, and so we just ended up leaving. He said, either you do this or you're not welcome here anymore. Right. Huh. So, so um, after that, was it just something where you were kind of internally like, I'm done with this or was it something where it was, you know, was it something where you're like, man, is there, what was that next step? The next step for me was I'm done with it. I'm no longer going to church. I'm over it. Hmm. Um, Brian still went to an ISB church. I don't even know which one he went to, but he went to one and I was, I was done. And did he just feel like that's what, was supposed to be done like there's nothing i mean because i know for a lot of people no matter how many times that kind of situation happens it's so ingrained in them that that's something that they need to be a part of they'll constantly go seek out the exact same type of church even though they know it's gonna lead to like negative connotations so it was that kind of the mindset was just i can't not go was that kind of what prompted that for brian yeah um Brian is already very controlling, so and it, so being in the IFB, he thrived in it because he got to be controlling. Hmm. So I can't really say that it is something that he grew up in per se, because he didn't. But being the person that he is, where else would he go? How I mean, how long did that last? As far as like going. I mean, essentially two separate, I mean, very opposite directions, going to church, not going to church. Was that something that just put a, a massive strain over the next several months, years, weeks? Like what, what was kind of the timeline after that? As far as getting kicked out of the church, the last one um, that I was in, I probably would have gone to another IFB church thinking that, you know, maybe this was just a weird anomaly. Right. And I probably would have given another church another try. And I probably would have given several churches another try, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, but what, what was really, really eye-opening was when my daughter passed away. Hmm. And um, like maybe three months after she had passed away, Everybody at that, not everybody, but a lot of people at that church were like, okay, it's time for you to get over it. You don't need to be sad anymore. It's time for you to get back and, you know, get going. Right. And, and that was just kind of like, huh. 
And so because of that happening, my, I think God really opened up my eyes a lot to, you know, you're, you're running into the same problem, no matter what city it is in, this is not who I am. This is not how I want people to portray me to be as. So after that had happened, it really wasn't much longer before I left my ex. Right. Wow. Because he was still in that whole mindset of, I am in control. You do what I say. You are not capable of anything except for to be my wife and to have my children. So. Yeah, well, I, um, that's so weird that you said. So, like, uh, this is another instance where, like, something you said just totally triggers a, a memory. But um, a few years ago, I don't know if you know, because I, I don't remember if we were Facebook friends or anything during that period. But um, in 2000, 2015, my wife and I got married, and then we ended up having a miscarriage, like, right. Um, I mean, it was, like, three years maybe four months in and um, which was, yeah. So that was a very jarring, painful experience. Um, And it happened in really scary circumstances. We were, um, we were outside the country, actually. We were in India when it happened. And um, so, yeah, so it was a very scary time and it was a lot of mental, it, 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 it has, I mean, it's one of the most devastating things that can happen to you. It's, it, mm-hmm. it had a huge effect in early on in a marriage and you're still trying to figure that out. Um, and I remember after that happened, I want to be, uh, again, I want to be super careful how I say all this because I don't at all want to take the subject lightly, but I, I just remember there was someone, there was someone in the church who you and I both know who experienced that stuff even right after that, they were still in church the next day. Um, The expectation that was kind of subliminally in the church, I guess that's kind of what I'm hitting at, was the idea of like, oh, it's such a mark of a true Christian to to be able to push through that event versus like, it's basically, if you think of the opposite, you're saying, well, if we couldn't do that, we're not as good a Christian. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm really hitting. I don't think it's so much with the people because I really do like, it's one of those things where like, I remember that thinking years later when it happened to us, like, man, that expectation was so backwards. Um, and that expectation was so harmful for people who were experiencing stuff like that. And, um, I remember right after everything happened. Um, and it's just interesting that you said that because I remember right after that happened, that same person just commented that it was, he felt that it was a lot of overblown kind of, emotions and things like that and I remember I had yeah it was it's and I I was questioning whether or not to bring that up because I like I said it's a super I mean I know it's a super super sensitive topic but I just remember not thinking anything of it at the time which like scares me that I didn't think anything of something like that at the time but I remember thinking exactly of that moment when that happened to us and thinking man if if that mindset of like, oh, you can't deal with the trauma of, you know, that experience, like that's a really toxic environment. And so I can confirm what you just said based on that experience of like, I know there was at least 
one person who was already in that mode of like, well, time to move on and keep being faithful. And um, yeah, that's, it's, it's really, it's just really weird because and it, it's one of those things where like, that's why I don't question anybody when like, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, like when, when you reached out and I know I mentioned this before, but like when you reached out, there was a big part of me that was like, just scared to do it because I was like, well, I know this person. <laughs> and, and it does, it goes through your mind where it's like, are they uh-huh. going to mention someone that I know? Are they going to mention someone that I like? Are they going to talk about uh-huh. it? But that's the problem when we start trying to validate whose story is true because of our experience. Exactly. The truth is like our experience, we could have not known the side of someone that someone's talking about. We could have blocked out. Like for me, I blocked out that memory. Like even after that happened to us and I thought about it, I blocked it out and it didn't reappear in my mind until you just said that. And then I'm thinking, Oh, she's right. That definitely was the attitude that was towards you guys. And that's, super 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 toxic like Mm -hmm. but the truth is when you're bought into something like this you don't think of it as toxic you you just think of it as your way of life and so I I 100% um, 100% can confirm that that was the case and that was true and that's like it terrifies me that as someone who I want to say I was in maybe I was, I was older. I was like junior, maybe junior high. I was like maybe middle school. But the fact that that didn't register as like so bizarre terrifies me. And I have a lot of things like that where like thought processes, mindsets, and things that I heard that were so normalized. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know where to go with that. But it, it just really is like that is such a major red flag. And I was still in the movement for – you know, obviously not necessarily by choice, but I was still in that movement bought in for the next several years, like almost a decade after that, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's really scary. So, um, yeah, so uh, man, there's, yeah, it's so, it's just, this is just so weird. It's, it's really weird to hear names and then start thinking and then start thinking like, man, that all fits. And, and like, even beyond that, like, I understand where that happened, you know, like I see that happening. I saw that happening, but it was so normal. I didn't think about it at the time. Um, man. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Um, so after that experience, is there much more after that or was it pretty much just as it went on, it just kind of fractured just because of the stress of, you know, two different worldviews kind of trying to make sense of life at that point. Um, After having, you know, the third church and then obviously having many different voices telling you how to process with your own emotions and your own life. um, Is that pretty much what just slowly it just things disintegrated and you just kind of went your own way or um, is there any more IFB type experience post that? Well, post Okay, so I'm assuming you're talking about Brian, or, yeah, or like are you that, talking about the church? Okay. Yeah, because I know you mentioned before, like, some of the marriage side, so I'm just curious if that was a pretty quick dissolve, or if that was something that, you know, was there any more, you know, because of the church situation that, that kept spiking up, or um, just what was the trajectory after that? Because I really, that's the end of my interaction, really, um, was that event. I don't, I, 
unless I'm totally blanking, I, I can't remember really seeing you guys at all after that. Um, maybe yeah. like, I mean, on and off throughout, but not frequently. Yeah, you got that right. I think maybe the most interaction we would have had was when Justin went to kindergarten with Lucy yeah. Raymond's class. Yeah, like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in a long yeah, time. Exactly. That kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and you were so much younger than me, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. You didn't I, have the same circle or anything like that. Um, but anyways, to answer your question, as far as Brian and I, we didn't really um, dissolve our marriage because necessarily of the IFB, as far as, you know, getting kicked out of churches, etc. Our marriage dissolved because he was very abusive psychologically. Mm. And, and he thrived in the IFB culture because what do they promote? Honestly, as far as, you know, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, et cetera. Right. And um, so, like I said, as far as after Emma passing away, like God just really opened up my eyes to, because I always thought that I was the mistake, that I was wrong, um, et cetera. But I didn't really know how to stand up for myself either because right. I was always taught, you know, the man is right. The man is the head of the household. You do what the man says, period, regardless of whether you're married or not. And um, just, just to give you an example, you know, if I were to make a comment like, oh my gosh, the sky is so pretty. It's so blue today. He would come at me in like a million different directions trying to convince me that the sky was purple. And it was exhausting. Mm. And it would happen for anything and everything. It didn't matter. It wasn't an, an argument per se. It was just very psychological, you know? Um, I would bring up legitimate, you know, issues as far as things that I saw in the church. And all of a sudden, it would turn around to where I'm the one that's causing everything. And I am, and the reason why we keep getting kicked out is because. I am the sole problem. And so it, it dissolved because of that. Um, my kids started emulating Brian. And it was at that point to where I'm like, nope, I'm done. And, you know, he stalked me for like a month before I was able to leave. And I finally, ha I was finally able to leave. And it, it took a lot huh. to be able to do that like a lot. Right. I had zero friends, wasn't allowed to get a job, had no money. I mean, nothing. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to stay at my mom's house because she had just gotten married. Right. But I did it. Um, was your, was your mom at that point completely out of that movement or was she still attending an IFB church at that time? Like, were you able to communicate with her about that stuff? Um, or did you feel like you didn't really have that connection even at that point? I was not able to talk to my mom about that at all. Um, okay. she's, she's, and it, this doesn't have anything to do with the IFB as far as her mentality goes. She's, she just loves being at home and she loves doing anything for her, her husband, period. Right. Like she loves that and that has nothing to do with anything. And yeah, so that's not, that's not whole, necessarily a negative trait. Right. It's just she she wouldn't necessarily understand the frustrations that you were having with your exactly. personality. That's also not wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Exactly. 
Okay. And so the, I was able to talk to her, my stepdad and you know, just, he saw everything. Okay. So he saw everything. He's met Brian before and, and he knew exactly where I was coming from. And he just basically put his foot down and said, she can stay here. And it was a good thing that I went there because Brian ended up coming after me that night and was very, very aggressive. And if my stepdad wasn't there, honestly, I, I don't know that I would be alive. Hmm. So it was phys physically very aggressive? That night he was. Okay. And he has been with me in the past, but it was mostly psychological. Right. And then, um, you know, later on, as I was still trying to divorce him, the, because I've had to call the police officers on him, and um, I was told by the detective, don't ever be alone with him, because right now he is controlling, he is being manipulative by pretending to be suicidal, but he'll kill you and then he'll kill himself. I was right. like, okay. Right. So it wasn't a good situation, but I'm out of it. Right. Right. So um, what's, I guess what's been your process since having left? Like what's been the experience? Um, obviously, you're in a much better place now, it seems. Um, can you talk a little I bit am. about that journey and maybe just say like what's been most helpful to you as you've kind of moved forward and kind of really claimed your life? I mean, just taken control and gotten to really experience like life the way that you were wanting to experience it? Well, there's four things. Okay. Number one, CrossFit. Go figure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll tell you why CrossFit. So CrossFit is very grueling, but it strengthens you up mentally because if you can't, you, you really have to like be able to get through something in your brain in order to get through it with your body. Okay. I'm not saying like screw yourself over and like go 100% all the time yeah, right. kind of a thing, but that helped a lot. And as a result of being at that particular CrossFit gym, I meet a lot of friends there that I still talk to, to this day. Um, the other thing was not going to church and just letting it all go and basically starting off with a blank slate and really rewiring my brain as far as what is true and what is not. I'm still very much so a Christian, just not like I was. And I'm very much so aware of, you know, that's not who God is at all. Right. You know, back then, you know, God is angry. He is, you know, if you do this wrong, you're going to get in trouble, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, that, that's not who he is. Right. Um, the other thing was talking to two friends and we were going through the same, I mean, both of us were both leaving our abusive husbands at the same time and leaving the IFB at the same time right. and being able to realize that, Hey, I'm not crazy. My, you know, and, and having that community of friends, mind you, we don't live anywhere near each other at all like at all. Our only connection is going to West Coast. Hmm. So being able to talk to them was huge. Right. Because like I said, you realize that you're not crazy and it's not all in your head. Right. Um, but those are 
really the main things as far as helping me to not only just get out of it, but get out of it mentally and realize that, hey, you know what? You're okay. Um, no, the, I mean, the friendship side is so important. And like, that's one thing that's consistently hit on on the show with different interviews is people saying like, oh, it was a community of people. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really it's really sad that a lot of people have to leave the church to fight a community of people that mm-hmm. care about them when that's what the church like advertises itself to be. And again, Seriously. like I know people are going to be mad and leave comments. So I'll just say, even though, I shouldn't, <laughs> even though I shouldn't have to say it, not every church is like that, but it, it really is like it's the churches where this stuff happens and it, it mm-hmm. goes unnoticed. Like, it really is like it the fact that people recover by just getting into a community of people who aren't jerks tells you like how messed up their church situation was because Mm -hmm. if there was a church of people who genuinely cared a lot of this stuff would be avoided if there wasn't the politics and the power moves and the fight for attention or to be the most holy of them all you know it Mm -hmm. it really would change so many of these stories at their root there wouldn't be the conversation of you know someone was controlling someone was jealous because their husband couldn't keep their eyes off of this person in the church when they're standing behind the pulpit like those conversations wouldn't be happening and um yeah and then also like the crossfit side like it hasn't released yet as of this recording but i just interviewed uh jesse buyer who has written a lot on um she's written a, she's wrote a book on uh, trauma and how we process it. And one of the big things that she mentioned, and I shouldn't have been shocked that you said CrossFit, but one of the things she mentioned was, <laughs> you know, sometimes therapy isn't sitting down in a room with someone and talking because that's yes. sometimes the least helpful thing. Um, a lot of times trauma and it's, I mean, this is just a known fact in the medical world is like a lot of times trauma is stored in your body. And so a lot of times that correlation of working on your body or creating these physical goals can help you Mm -hmm. drastically on the mental side. So that all makes a lot of sense. And I like, right when I was like, really? And then I was like, why am I surprised? Cause I just had a conversation (laughs) yesterday um, talking through that. So, yeah. So no, I think that's really good. So we talked a little bit about like you know, having a healthy community versus a toxic community. And like one of the things that obviously I felt turned very toxic toward you and your family, even when I was still attending the church was a lot of the church members attitude toward your family because your brother is gay and Mm -hmm. that topic and that subject was something that was constantly talked about. Um, I know that from firsthand, like I was old enough where I was in, I was, very early on in my youth group experience, but it wasn't uncommon. And I've talked about this on the show before. It wasn't uncommon to hear, you know, people that worked with the youth group saying, you know, calling people a fag or, you know, making fun of them the minute they walked into the church. And it, it was very, it was very dehumanizing language used about anyone who, pursued that lifestyle and Mm -hmm. it wasn't the same way that people who because because look this show's not about religious beliefs like and even in conversations one-on-one with people I don't think that's the crux of the issue I don't think it's whether or not 
well, do you think the Bible actually says this is this, this, like, right. That conversation, it has its place, but like, regardless of that, you know, there are very clear, you know, ways that people should be treated and Mm -hmm. people who are human beings deserve respect as human beings. So it's one of those things where like, I've had so many conversations with people who are Christians and essentially the conversation always will end up being, you know, Hey, I think so-and-so is gay or it's, it's just always kind of this whispered, like, Hey, I think this Mm -hmm. might be going on. And I'm always sitting there like, okay, um, what happens if they are, are they dead to you? Do you not talk to them? Is there no respect there? Does nothing they believe is nothing they believe valid because I don't see you biting your nails over someone who's living with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, which is also Mm -hmm. (laughs) biblical um, guideline for relationships. So it just seems like, it seems like people really hone in on that because it's something that they don't identify with at all. A guy can Mm -hmm. sit, a, a pastor can, get the idea of like, oh, well, I'm attracted to women. So I could see slipping up there or doing this. They can't put themselves in the shoes of something that they don't personally have a mindset related to. So um, can you talk a little bit about how that experience affected you? Because I I can't imagine that that happened in a vacuum. Like that had to have ramifications on your IFB experience as well. I can. So when this is going to be kind of a little, it's going to be everywhere. It's fine. And you know what, so, and be- before you say that, I actually want to say this too, because I want to be uh-huh. complete. I, I try to be very transparent on the show and honest. When I was in my later years of high school, like just getting ready to get out, that stuff really bothered me, that that kind of language mm-hmm. and talking about people. But I do want to just be honest and say there was a long period, like literally up till I was probably, and it still carried over. Like I'm, I'm still unlearning or learning how to treat people better like that's an ongoing Mm -hmm. journey but I I was saying the same kind of slurs I was having conversations laughing like I was very much again bought into that mindset Mm -hmm. and when your youth pastor is doing it it's okay and so um, I just want to be very clear for anyone listening I don't want to sit here and on a high horse and say I never did that stuff like I want to be very clear and say yeah, it was super wrong. I see it as wrong. And I feel like more people need to see it as wrong. Um, so mm-hmm. I just want to say that before, before moving forward. Cause I think that's, it's important to admit, you know, even if you are a part of something where you're being taught something wrong, you need to own when you do something wrong. So, but um, anyway, moving forward with your, with your story here. So um, as far as that goes, I actually didn't know that Phil was calling my brother that at all. Um, I didn't know it was that bad because I was kind of going through my own thing with Brian and with my daughter dying, et cetera. But as far as like when my brother came out to me, it didn't really change me and my brother per se at all, or even it did with my mom, but definitely not with me and my brother because we were already close as it is. And I have a lot of theories, but when he, when he came out to me, um, I just basically told him, you know, you know, I don't agree with it. I go, but I'm not going to love you any differently and I'm not going to treat you any differently. And after hearing, you know, what you had said, it makes total sense as far as why he was so relieved. You know, he was, he was crying because he thought I was going to shun him and keep him away from the boys and never see him again. And so I think because hearing his experience as far as that goes, 
I just, you know, like you said, I don't get why people would want to treat anybody else different just because they're different. When someone's not physically hurting you, when there's no, you know what I mean? Like you Mm -hmm. have to, like, it's just weird to have that amount of vitriol over something. Like if you think it's a sin issue, you know, like you think about all the other things that you don't act like that for. Like I said, like you don't act Mm -hmm. like that when someone's living with their girlfriend. (laughs) <laughs> which exactly. is just as frowned upon, if not talked about more, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a very serious thing as well. So yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense as far as like why, you know, why you were able to deal with it the way you did and why he felt the the way that he did. And um, just to be clear too, like, I don't know if you just knew that from me saying that on the, on the show that that kind of stuff was being said, but um, I have no idea if that was said directly to him because like from my perspective, about. yeah, because from what I saw personally, it was like just general niceties when he was there and it was like as he was walking up or as he was leaving, it was like shifted to like, oh goodness, like there's, you know what I mean? Like that kind of back, you know, be, everything in that movement is generally behind the back. It, mm-hmm. I mean, unless it's from the pulpit, but you know, it's a lot of times it's just gossip behind the back. Like, and I was so close with a lot of those people that mm-hmm. I would hear that stuff casually because I was part of it. And mm-hmm. that, that kind of makes me sick to say now is like, I was, I, they knew, I guess I could take it or I could handle that conversation. Um, but anyway, I keep, well, I don't want to, I don't want to keep taking the mic from you. (laughs) No, 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 you're fine. Like the more you keep talking about stuff, like things keep resurfacing as far Mm. as things that had happened. So um, I remember, okay, so you know Phil has a sister? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So my brother actually dated her for a while. I think I remember that Um, actually a little bit. Went out to Michigan. I mean, he. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And and get this. He went out to Michigan to see her. My mom wasn't able to take my brother up there, and he wasn't quite old enough, if I remember correctly, to fly by himself. So Phil said, Phil and Ingrid said that they would take my brother out there if he paid for their whole trip. Mm. So he paid for their whole trip to go out there. And I don't know if something happened or whatnot, but when he came back, he was a different person. Um, oh. Something else that I also vaguely remember. So Mr. Dorches had accused my brother of raping his son. And really, yeah, yeah, he, he's completely like disowned us, him, his daughter, like all of them. But my brother is like, what on earth are you talking about? And it it just kind of makes me wonder as far as my theory, in addition to research, is that not everybody, okay, not everybody, but like there are several people who are gay who were raped or molested when they were younger. Right. Um, You know, my friend was the same way. You know, she was raped while she was at West Coast. Mm -hmm. She was raped while she was at her church out in Pennsylvania. She was molested as a kid and she wanted to have nothing to do with guys at all. And I feel like, you know, I, my brother is very closed off as far as that time in his life, but 
I feel like something happened because why would somebody accuse him of raping them? You know? Yeah. Right. So I can't say it affected me and my brother's relationship, but it's definitely affected, you know, everybody else around us. Like they don't talk to us. Right. Which in turn affects you personally. And you know, it Mm -hmm. changes, it just changes all your dynamics. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy. It's, it's crazy that it's so difficult to even talk. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's mm-hmm. because you have to be, it's yeah. It, it's just really, to me, it's just sad. Like, I think, I think mm-hmm. that's the word I keep circling is like, it's just really sad that people can't just like, Oh, Hey, I love you. <laughs> and yes, exactly. not have to say, I love you, even though you're, this or I love uh-huh. you even though I think this or I feel I love mm-hmm. you even though you know what I mean like it's mm-hmm. you know it, it I see people do that with with religious stuff like man for, for yeah or politics Ugh. for a democrat they're really <laughs> nice or for a you know for a muslim yes. they're actually a really nice person and it's like well a lot of Muslims are nice people. <laughs> They're just people, just like you and me. Like a lot of Christians are nice people. A lot of Christians mm-hmm. are not nice people, <laughs> you know? And there's always these disclaimers we put as human beings. And I think it's really unfortunate. Um, and I think when you have a, a culture where, especially when you're quote unquote separatist in your belief system, like there's a lot of times you can lean into that really heavily and just label everybody who's not like you and then have mm-hmm. degrees of separation with them. And I think that's super, super harmful um, mm-hmm. when you're, especially when you're a church. So um, yeah, I just wanted to hit on that because I think that's something like I can personally remember. And I thought that was a, that kind of drives home that point of like toxic culture versus mm-hmm. loving culture and healthy versus unhealthy. And I oh, mean, your, your story speaks for yourself. Once you got into a healthy culture, like things started changing. Um, and so I think that's a, I think there's a lot of really important takeaways there, but, um, but yeah, I, I have one question that I ask everybody who, um, comes on the show and it's, what do you think is the, do you think there's hope for reform of the IFB movement or do you think it's something that just in its foundation and in its, you know, based on the, the kind of ruling of the the IFB founding fathers, I guess you will, um, you know, do you think that it's kind of damaged from inception and just needs to, needs to die? Like what, what's kind of your takeaway there? Well, I would like to say that there's hope for change because I do believe that people can change. Right. But because of how the IFB was born, I don't think it will change. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, it's kind of where I'm at. Um, I, I mean, my, the level of that has shifted on and off, like just depending on who I talk to and like situations, but you know, I generally agree. Like, I think that's kind of where I'm at and I'm open, you know, doing this show, like I'm always open to changing my mind, but like the conversations right. I'm having both on the show and off make me feel like it's more and more connected than like I already knew it was really a lot of connected problems, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing it more and more. So um, I'm always curious people's answer are, cause I, I have people that I really respect that are pushing. Like I have a pastor I know that I really, really respect who mm-hmm. is actively trying to change it. I actually know several pastors like that and I wish them well, but I think that you're, you know, right. when people talk about reforming it, 
you have to have something good to reform it back to. And mm-hmm. that's where I think the missing key is. I think you have to either completely, people are either rebranding it into something that looks, you know, it's fundamentally the same, but it looks a little bit nicer or you have to basically just tear it down to the foundation and, you know, tear down the foundation and rebuild it and, mm-hmm. you know, go from there. So, well, I really appreciate right. you, uh, you sharing. And I mean, this is a, a longer episode, um, which just comes from like us having <laughs> some similar history. There's going to be some more common conversation, but um, I really appreciate you talking about, we talked about a lot of difficult stuff and I appreciate you being super transparent and, and, you know, just talking about it with me. I think it's going to be really helpful to people who have been in similar situations. So thank you so much. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.